0: Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Today we're beginning a brand new series called Simplify. This is a study that's based off the book Simplify and Clutter Your Soul by Bill Hybels. If you've not read it, it's a tremendous book that is designed to help us focus on what matters most as a child of God. And where we might deviate our trajectory just a little bit, the motivating concept behind this study will stay the same. Today we're going to begin by addressing what a simplified life looks like and why we so badly need that life to be ours. Today's message is entitled, Running on Empty. Have you ever been driving down the road, minding your own business, and then all of a sudden you run out of gas? Now this is pretty embarrassing, but for me, the answer is yes. You might say, why are you embarrassed? It's embarrassing because it's such a stupid mistake to make. I mean, even a child knows you have to put gas in a car or it will stop. (laughs) But it happened to me. And you want to know how it happened to me? It happened to me because I stopped thinking about it. It's not like I intentionally ran out of gas or that I didn't have enough money to put gas in the car. It's just I stopped thinking about it. And that's the way it goes. If you don't spend time thinking about it, the only way not to run out of gas is to never go anywhere. And believe it or not, it's easy to run out of the gas, you might not think so. Even with the constant reminders of gas lights going off, it is easy to run out of gas. All you have to do is to stop thinking about it, and it'll happen to you too. Now, not only is it easy to run out of gas in our car, it's easy to run out of gas in our body. In fact, if you constantly find yourself saying things like, I am exhausted, or I'm overwhelmed, or I'm just so stressed out, or I've got way too much to do. Then that's your gaslight going off and it's reminding you that you're running on empty. Now maybe people even tell you that you're burning your candle at both ends. People tell me this occasionally and, and when they tell me this it's always a surprise because it's almost like I didn't realize I was trying to do too much until people told me I was trying to do too much. I'm not trying to do too much. I'm, I'm just trying to get all the stuff I need to get done done. But that's what they tell me. You're burning your candle from both ends. Now, even if it's too much to do, I feel like I have no other choice but to burn my candle at both ends because if I don't do it, well, then it likely won't get done. I know all too well what it's like to be anxious, overwhelmed, overscheduled, and exhausted. And I think the question I tend to ask myself is, is when did things get so complicated now, surely things haven't always been this way. And here's a better question. Is this just going to continue until I die? Am I going to live out the rest of my life on the edge of perpetual burnout? I don't foresee my life slowing down anytime soon, so am I stuck? Or is there a better way? Now when we tend to think about simplicity, I think we tend to think it means that we have to have a garage sale and get rid of everything that we're not using. Unfortunately, simplified living is a little bit more complicated than that. It's a little bit more complicated than just living with less. Simplified living is being who God has called us to be with a wholehearted, single-minded focus. It's choosing to walk away from innumerable opportunities in order that we might take advantage of incredible opportunities in which we've been called. It's a lifestyle that allows us to feel grateful and satisfied that our life isn't being wasted when our heads hit the pillow at at night. Now, if you're like me, then you're in danger of falling into a rut where you're no longer able to distinguish the difference between what's important and what's unessential. Because that's the danger. We can waste our lives by doing the things that don't really matter. And at the same time, we can never get around to doing the things that really do matter. But what if things could be different? What if we could be certain that we were living the life that God called us to live? Simplified living, it requires more than just cleaning out your closets or reorganizing your desk drawer. Simplified living requires you to unclutter your soul. So for this six-week series, we're going to examine several core issues that can help us stop doing the stuff that doesn't matter and instead focus on the things that does matter. Now, um, we're going to examine scripture to determine how we can focus on having a simplified life. I just want to put up, put up a little bit little disclaimer. Don't mistake simple for easy. If simplified living was easy, everybody would do it. Simplified living is hard work, and we're going to have to you know, we're going to have to focus on some things that it's not for the faint of heart. So I just want to challenge you not to nod your head when you hear something intellectual or, or hear a Bible verse that you agree with. James says in James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so you don't think this is just Pastor John telling you what to do all the time or Bill Hybels telling you what to do. We're going to weigh practical teaching with Scripture and make sure all this adds up. So I just want to state for the record, this is not a sermon that you have to sit and listen to action will be required for you if things are going to get better so if you're still all in for this let's get started in all of jesus earthly ministry scripture only records one person whom he redirected in the area of simplicity it was a good friend of his a woman named martha jesus had hundreds of followers not just 12 disciples But in his inner circle, he regularly fellowshiped with three men, Peter, James, and John. However, Jesus also had three other friends he regularly spent time with, three siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. These three siblings, they lived in the suburbs of Jerusalem called Bethany. And we see in Scripture that Jesus stayed with them from time to time to escape the growing demand for miracles and ministry And the incident we're about to read is when the demands on Jesus were growing out of control. See, the more that Jesus displayed his power, the more people wanted him to heal them and settle their disputes and even even feed them physically. So Jesus' days were increasingly packed with a lot of things that needed attention. However, Jesus would occasionally take a time out and retreat to their home in Bethany. And this is how Luke describes one such a visit in Luke chapter ten, verses thirty-eight through forty-two. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home. She she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So Jesus and his disciples sort of show up at Mary and Martha's house in this passage of Scripture. And it leaves them no time to prepare a meal for Jesus and his 12 disciples. So as you can imagine... Martha just rushes into the kitchen to begin preparing food for their guests. Only when Mary should have rushed into the kitchen with her sister, she instead decided to catch up with Jesus and hear what he had to say say instead. So usually there's a signal when somebody's trying to get your attention that you have to watch or pay attention to. Um, My wife Erin likes to pinch me, or she likes to step on my foot under the table or kick me. Um, when she's in another room, she might accidentally drop something or she might send me a text just to get my attention. So I can only imagine Martha was walking around the corner and giving Mary dirty looks, dropping an occasional pot or pan, anything that would try to get her attention, to tell her to get up and get in here and help. Except Mary is either choosing to ignore all these subtle hints or she's so engaged in the conversation with Jesus that she's completely missing all of them. And after a while, Martha eventually just hits her breaking point. She walks around the corner and bypasses Mary and goes right to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work in here by myself? Don't you care? Tell her to get in here and help me. Don't you care, Jesus? Now That statement is so thick with irony, it's ridiculous. Remember who she's talking to. This is Jesus. The guy who left his throne to be born in a manger so that we could grow up, so that he could grow up and live his life out on the road, teaching, healing, and serving others until he's absolutely exhausted every single day. This is the guy that would soon bleed and die to serve as a ransom for many, including Martha. Don't you care, Jesus? And I think Jesus he immediately recognizes what's going on here. You see, the problem isn't that there was a bunch of work that needed to be done and Mary wasn't doing it. The problem was that Martha was the type of person that she became so overwhelmed with all the stuff that needed to get done, she was unable to distinguish what was important and what wasn't. So Jesus just makes an observation. He tells her, you know, Martha, you're worried about a lot of stuff. But listen, only one thing is needed. Only, Only one thing is important here. Now, Jesus is able to tell Martha, you know, this truth. But I think the reason why he did that is because he was able to tell from her behavior that she was overwhelmed and overscheduled and exhausted. And so he tells her what exactly, exactly what she needs to hear. Now, think about some of the things that Jesus could have said. Jesus could have said, Do you really think that I need you to prepare food for me? Martha, I just fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, with bread from heaven. I could turn a rock into bread and eat that if I want I don't need anything to drink. I can turn water into wine when I get thirsty. But Jesus tells Martha, Mary has chosen to spend time with me. And I'm not going to send her back in the kitchen to do a dozen things that don't really matter in the, in the big picture. And Jesus is inviting Martha to drop all the things that she thinks that she has to get done and just sit down and focus on a relationship with him he tells Martha she's running on empty and she needs, she needs to drop everything and have an unrushed conversation with him and fill up again. Now the core of a simplified life is simply this. Sometimes we have to leave things undone to focus on the things that really matter. Most importantly, having an unrushed heart-to-heart with Jesus. Now I warned you, this path to simplicity is not for the faint of heart. It's a process that requires complete honesty and action. So let me just ask you a question, since we're being honest with each other. Do you feel empty? Or do you feel full? Do you feel energized and full of joy to do all the things that need to be done and you're happy about it? Or are you feeling empty and depressed? and you don't know how you're going to get everything done if your life was a bucket where would your joy waterline be at remember Jesus said in John 10 10 the thief comes to steal kill and destroy I came that you might have life and have it to the full so are you full or are you empty maybe you're somewhere in between how full do you feel Maybe you're not sure. Well, if you're not sure, let me ask you a question. What would it look like when you're filled to the brim? When you're completely and totally full? When you're overflowing? What does it look like when you're filled up with God? What does it look like when the things in your family are firing in all cylinders? What do you like when your schedule is sane and you're getting enough sleep and you're eating and exercising properly? What does it look like? Here's some things we might say when we're filled up. I'm at my best when I'm filled. I'm fun to be around. Maybe they say, maybe we say, I, I feel the presence of God on my life more frequently and he's strong in my life. I'm happy and my family is happy. I'm calm most of the time. I'm patient. When I'm filled up, I make better decisions about my schedule and I'm careful not to overcommit. Maybe we say, I, I feel more creative. I laugh a lot more. Maybe we say, I I look forward to worshiping God and fellowship with other believers. I cannot wait for Sunday morning. I think one thing is undeniable. When our lives are filled with God, when we're filled to the brim with joy, we are living the life that Jesus promised and came to deliver us in John 10.10. It's a life that's characterized by peace and joy that passes all human understanding. doesn't make sense to the world, but it's there. Well, let me ask you another question. What does your life look like when it's empty? What does it look like when you're totally depleted, feeling like you have nothing left to give? Here are some scenarios that typically play out when we're running on empty. Sometimes we become more easily irritated than others. Um, When things minor go wrong, It sets us off and we blow things out of proportion. Sometimes we snap at our spouse. Sometimes we snap at our kids. Sometimes we kick the dog. Sometimes we lose our temper at work. Some of us withdraw and become passive. Some of us isolate and become loners. Some of us overeat. Some of us overdrink. Some of us overmedicate. Some of us overwork. Some of us overspend. When We don't have the energy or emotionally health to pursue intimacy in a healthy way Some of us retreat into the shadows and turn to pornography. You know, for a while I was having problems with my extended family. There was a lot of drama in my family. And I made life a living hell for everybody in my home. My kids would experience me screaming at them at the top of my lungs and spanking them for what seemed like such a minor offense. Wow, Daddy really overreacted there. My wife walked in eggshells around me and, and just tried to stay out of my way all the time and would tell me, John, you used to laugh a lot more and you're just you're just frustrated all the time. And if I had a dog, I would have kicked that dog regularly just because I was so frustrated. And I was frustrated because I was trying to go through life living on empty. I was just running on empty. It's not that I didn't love my family and I, and I I didn't want to have better control over my feelings. It was just so I was so incredibly frustrated, and I felt so drained all the time. Bill Hybels, author of the book *Simplicity: Unclutter Your Soul*, says when you're running on empty, you're not just hard to be around. You're dangerous. And I think he said he said this because living on empty has consequences for our marriage. It has consequences in our in our parenting. It has consequences in our workplaces, and it, it has consequences. In in our friendships, I think it's safe to say that none of us are at our our best whenever we're running on empty. But if you find yourself totally depleted and mad at the world, maybe it's time for you to hear what God has to say on the subject. This is what Jesus said to Martha Hey, let's sit down together. Stop focusing on all the things that you got to get done and just focus on your relationship with me because somewhere along the way you lost your connection with me you lost your bearings on true north and now you're spinning out of control but i've got a better plan i think this is where things start to get fun think about the sort of things that fill your bucket what fills you up and you might be thinking to yourself i have absolutely no idea i felt so empty for so long i wouldn't have the first clue on what would fill me up i've totally forgotten how to be full. Now, if this is you, don't panic. I'm going to give some examples of some things that might help fill you up, but before we go there, it's important to know why you're depleted. Could it be that your bucket, your life bucket, has a bunch of holes in it? We're never going to be able to fill our bucket until we patch some of those holes. Sometimes we can can view our self-worth as you know how much we're doing for other people or how much people appraise us or how much people appreciate us. Maybe this is a boss at work or a spouse or kids at home or, or a friend that constantly needs our help and we think, well, at least I'm needed. But we run ourselves empty trying to fill other people up. And we need to understand it's my responsibility to fill my bucket, to make sure my bucket is filled not somebody else's, which means that we shouldn't think that it's our responsibility to fill somebody else's bucket. So just for grins, let's just look at some bucket filling systems. We have to find those leaks and we have to plug those leaks. And we'll talk about a little bit more about those leaks in, in, in the coming weeks. But let's just talk about some things that might fill us up. First and foremost, I think this is undeniable. We become filled when we fill up on God. And I realize this is a Sunday school answer, but when we're walking hand in hand with God, when we're filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit, when we're in conversations with Him and we're totally dialed in in with Him in relationship, this is the single most replenishing dynamic in our lives. When I'm connected with God, I'm far less concerned about what other people think of me and, and what their agendas are. Because you know what? I'm I'm walking hand in hand with the one that gives my life purpose and meaning. I don't have to worry about what you think about me. I don't worry worry about all the things that you think that I should be doing. Because I am am in the right relationship with God. I'm able to remind myself I don't have to fulfill somebody else's agenda. Because God, you bring me purpose. I just want to fulfill your agenda, God. I want to fulfill the purpose that you put me here for. I remember on one occasion I had resisted temptation and I instead decided to just fill up on God just to do what he told me to do and to seek him and um, I was right in the passenger seat of my car while Aaron drove home and I, I just sat there in silence and and I, we rolled down the window and it was warm outside and I was just watching the trees pass and I want to tell you I just felt God's presence so incredibly strong over me. It, it, it just it was incredible. I felt like God was telling me, John, I'm so proud of you. And you know I I spent a lot of my life trying to get back to that moment or have future moments that are similar to that. When you fill up on God, that powerful touch from Him is a game changer. Now, perhaps you've never really connected with God like I'm describing, and you don't even know what that feels like. And if you always sense that somewhere deep in the core of your being that there has to be something more than you're currently experiencing, I can tell you from my experience, that feeling has everything to do with filling up on God. Now, maybe you purposely avoided Him, and today you just need to lift up your hands and say, God, I need you in my life. I'm running on empty. And I'm trying to fill up on other stuff and it's just not filling me up. I'm just empty and frustrated, angry at the world all the time. God, I need you. God can change everything. He did for me. And he wants to do the same for you. I know it. So you must absolutely begin there. You must take time out of your busy schedule and even leave things undone. And spend time with God. We'll talk a little bit more about that in in the coming weeks. But another bucket-filling system is um, spending time with family. I realize that family looks different for everybody. Um, But for me, family is my wife and my kids. Um, And I love spending time with them. Even if you're single, you can still have family, though. I don't don't want you to feel like, well, I don't have any family. You, You have a family of friends that are encircling you. And if not, then there's the church. God has encircled you with the church. Maybe you need to dive into those relationships more. You know, for, for years, I felt like my family was a burden. And I think this is because I was so twisted up with my own self-image. I love being, being productive, and I love getting things done, and, and being creative, and and um, sometimes I felt like my family held me back. And, and you know, Because I, I think with my family, it's hard to feel productive. It's hard to feel like I'm getting things done. What? I'm just tying Christian shoes or I'm getting Peter to drink. I'm not really getting anything done. I'm just sitting down telling my wife about my day, all the stuff that I did do. That's not getting something done, but it is. God showed me how twisted my 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 mindset on that was. I'm raising boys. I'm I'm investing in my relationship with my wife. Do you know that the most common statement from somebody on their deathbed is not, I sure wish I could have got more done at work. It's, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. My family is one of the greatest replenishers in my life. Why do I say that? I say that because when I lay my head down at night, my, my head hits the pillow, and if I hadn't spent sufficient time with my family, I feel like I've completely wasted my day. Even if I've gotten a lot done at work. I feel like I wasted my day, but every time I spend time with my family, every time I go out of my way to do less work and spend more time with my family, I feel like I've accomplished something. Even even when I was convinced that they were a burden to me. I think that was God showing me that family is a great replenisher in my life. And you know what? Not every family relationship is replenishing. Family systems are complex. Sometimes there's people in our family that drain the life out of us. But maybe that's because we need to spend some time mending a relationship in our family, so that we're back on the they're back on the replenishing side, not on the draining side. We'll talk a little about this a little bit more as we go in further into the series. But for now, let's just talk about another bucket filling system. How about recreation? How much time do you spend in recreation? Now I know you might be thinking. You might be thinking, John, I don't have time for recreation, and I can't afford it. Me, I'm going to tell you, you don't, you, have, you don't have time not to, okay? You can't not afford to, to, to be a part of recreation. You can't afford not to have recreation. I, I think at times I've thought to myself, how can I go have fun when there's people all around me who are still far away from God? How can I enjoy myself when people are dying and going to hell? Well, first off, I need to recognize that I don't save anybody. And second, do you know what recreation is? Recreation is where you recreate energy. If you're empty all the time, that could be a major reason why. You're not making time for recreation. Another, another um, bucket-filling system is uh, diet and exercise. Now, I don't know what you like to do, but I like to run. And believe it or not, I don't know why, but running makes me feel young again. Mostly because I was in cross country and track all throughout high school, and it's been a long time since I ran. And I remember the first time I went out and started running again, I'm just like, wow, man, I feel alive again. I feel young. And then my knees started to hurt because I was doing it too much, and then I felt old all over again. But Aaron has told me on numerous occasions, you know, you seem less stressed when you go out and run. And I think this is when things started to turn around for me with my family, and all that drama I was going through. I'd go out. Instead of watching TV and, and filling up on video games, which weren't really filling me up anyway, I just go out and exercise and go out and run. Now you can read any study on the topic and it, and, and what adds energy and vitality to your life, and you'll find that most experts agree exercise and the right amount of, of rest and the, the right food intake, it will increase your energy by about 20% in the average day. 20%. That's a lot. So think about some things that might be filling your bucket. In the coming weeks, we're going to assess some key principles in simplifying our lives, but it's absolutely essential that you commit to making some of these changes if you want to experience anything different in your life. You know the definition of insanity, right? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. And listen, this is not a Tony Robbins seminar where I'm going to try to motivate you to try harder and unleash the inner you. Because in truth, the inner you is what got you into trouble in the first place. We don't need to get a whole lot of stuff done. We need to focus on Christ and what it is that he put us here to do. If things are going to change, it has to start with you saying this. I'm done living on empty. I'm so tired of being depleted all the time that I'm going to do something about it. The first step to filling your bucket is to take a sober assessment of where you are now. What are you doing? What are you doing in your life? What do you spend most of your time doing? Are you exercising and trying to eat right? Are you going out enjoying recreation? How are things with your family? How much time do you spend with them? How are things with God? How much time do you spend with Him? Remember, if you're going to simplify and pursue a fulfilled life, it means some things are going to have to go undone. Yes, we have to work to pay the bills. Yes, we need money to survive, but think about it. If you had all the money in the world and didn't have a solid relationship with God, if you didn't have a solid relationship with your family, would you die a happy man or woman? We need our buckets to be filled so that we can do what matters most and fulfill the purpose that God has created us for. God has created us to overflow, to spill into other people's lives. Not in in a bad boundary way, but in a joy and peace way. Next week we're going to begin talking about some practical ways to start taking control of our life. And no, it's not going to be easy, but if you and I will apply these teachings and live our lives by them, we will never have to experience running on empty again. You might not even know where to begin. So today I just I just want to end with this verse. It's Matthew 6.33. Pay attention to it because it, it gives us the secret to a simplified life. We have to change our focus. This is what it says. But seek first His kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.